And time marches on, which means we march into the midday for this Thursday, the 5th of April, with uh, another blast of old man winter waiting at the doorstep of Nebraska. Well, we'll get ready for it, so stay with your rural radio network station for the latest and what's headed your direction. And we'll all be prepared and ready to go with that. It's uh, your uh, midday rundown, something that we call the uh, the roundtable. I need to check quickly over here on my little magic uh, wherever it comes in from. Is Susan out there anymore today? No, apparently not. Uh, so I, I don't know what exactly we have going on in the ag department. Has anyone had a, a clue on that yet? Okay, nope. not really. Okay. Well, let me give you what I do have. I do know that Bryce Duskett will be talking with the state FFA officers and FFA delegates about how the organization, student-led, is uh, growing and being more and more vital in the state of Nebraska. And we'll have all of that information coming up for you. We also, in the course of our midday program for today, will be talking with Senator Deb Fisher as she is concerned about trade and everything that's going on along that line. So, there you go. We can expect those stories and more from the ag team, which is spread far and wide. That doesn't really bother me that they're not here. That means they're working on important stuff that we'll be bringing you here on the midday program. Speaking of important stuff, we go out over to the sports department, and that's where we find Jason Jorgensen. Hey, the Masters is underway. Tiger Woods is playing for the first time since 2015. Mark Leshman has the lead at two under so far. Another one of the old dudes, Vijay Singh, he's at one under. That's one of the great things you have to like about the Masters, especially early on, is sometimes as champions from the past, they can show up for a day or two and make things interesting yeah. before the length of the course usually uh, eats them up. Yeah. Speaking of one of the old guys... Tom Watson won the par three contest yesterday at 68 years old. He tore it up. He's he's the oldest guy to uh, ever win the par three. Isn't it great to see some of those great names have a yeah. great game? He was out there with uh, Jack Nicklaus yesterday, and then Nicklaus's grandson had a hole in one the par three. So no it was kidding. a memorable day at Augusta, and that was before the actual tournament even got underway. Also coming up in sports, quite the uh, plateau hit last night by Creighton baseball coach, uh, Coach Service. He had the 500th victory of his career as Creighton was able to knock off Kansas State. Also coming up in sports, uh, remember former Husker and uh, Carney star Brett Maher? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he is signed with the Cowboys. No so the last uh, several years, he's kicked pretty successfully up in the CFL in Canada, and now he gets another shot with the Cowboys. Sounds like he might be used more as a practice player, but if he performs so well there, might get the attention of somebody else and eventually land somewhere else. Who knows? Holded leg Maher. Yes. There you go. All right, Bob, what do you have for us in business? U.S. and European stock markets are moving higher, and one of the reasons investors are more optimistic that a trade dispute between the U.S. and China will be resolved without too much pain And uh, on the heels of that, the U.S. trade deficit has risen for a sixth straight month. And also, Nebraska business and consumer confidence settle at high levels in March surveys. So we'll have those stories coming up. All right. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening in. We'll keep on listening to your rural radio network station. Well, what do you have to say for yourself, Paul Perkins? Well, 
just don't blame the messenger is all I say. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those uh, times when you just don't want to be in those big size 11s that are on the feet of Mr. Paul Perkins. It is your ag weather, and we've got plenty more to tell you about here. And it's brought to you today by Holdridge Irrigation. Holdridge Irrigation is your Reiki dealer. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't the saying go April showers? I mean, do they mean snow showers or <laughs> rain showers? I always thought it was supposed to be rain showers in the month of April. We're going to have to be <laughs> rethinking all of those old axioms, I'm afraid. Especially in the next few days. Today, though, decent. We are on the backside of a weak cold front, but it actually feels better today because temperatures are similar to what we saw yesterday, but with some light north winds. It's not going to be as warm, though, in Imperial, where it got up to 69 yesterday or 65 in Lexington. But we will still see some very mild conditions today. That's ahead of a yet another system moving in for tonight. Expecting precipitation with the disturbance starting up over western Nebraska this evening. Then it'll make its way towards central Nebraska at about midnight. That precipitation may start out as some rain before it switches to snow. As some cold Arctic air settles in. Yes, we're talking about cold Arctic air in the month of April here, and it looks like we're going to get a good dose of it as we head into tomorrow. The heaviest snow with this system expected to fall between 4 a.m. and noon tomorrow. So 4 a.m. and noon tomorrow. The highest snowfalls should be right along and north of Interstate 80, and that's where we do have a winter weather advisory that goes into effect late tonight into the day tomorrow. And it's along and north of Interstate 80 from Ogallala all the way to Lincoln. So that's where we are looking at the most of the snow. Generally about 3 to 5 inches expected along and north of I-80. About 1 to 2 inches to the south of the interstate on into northern Kansas. And you can see that snowfall snowfall forecast map on our KRBN Facebook page. Now, north winds also going to increase with this system towards the morning hours and be somewhat strong through the day tomorrow. That will reduce the visibilities, especially where there may be some heavier snow. High temperatures tomorrow also to add a little more pain to this right near record cold levels. Saturday looks to be cold and well below normal. We will see some sunshine as some high pressure moves overhead, but it will be on the chilly side for this time of year, about 20 degrees colder than normal. Another strong storm expected to track across the area Saturday night into Sunday. Some warmer air with this system, though, going to lead more of a wintry mix with that likely snow chance. So we could see a little freezing precipitation with that. And icing may be a concern with the potential of a tenth of an inch in accumulations, especially on some bridges and overpasses. Temperatures look to be less cold on Sunday behind a warm front. Actually going to see areas into the low 50s. Could be a little rain left over with that system on Monday. Otherwise, our temperatures warm dramatically for Tuesday and Wednesday with the ridge of high pressure moving overhead. There is a bit of a change in our long-term forecast. And once again, it's towards the cooler side of things. Temperatures in the middle of next week start out seasonal in Nebraska and warmer than normal in Kansas. But late next week through April 18th, our temperatures expected to be seasonal to cooler than normal in Nebraska. Kansas, seasonal to warmer than normal. Our precipitation forecast for most of Nebraska and Kansas, Tuesday through April 18th, projected to be near normal to slightly wetter than normal. But western Kansas should remain drier than normal the entire time of Tuesday through the 18th. Soil temperatures, 4 inches down at 7 this morning in the low 30s in most of Nebraska. Right along I-80 and south into northern Kansas, so soil temperatures in the mid to upper 30s. Soil temperatures to the south of I-70 in the low 40s. In today's drought monitor, 81% of Nebraska is drought-free. It continues to be abnormally dry from to a moderate drought from about Sydney 
and also from around the Cook and Frontier County into southeast Nebraska. There was some improvement in the dryness issues over southeast Nebraska. Lincoln was abnormally dry, but now they're drought-free. Only Cheyenne County in northwest Kansas is drought-free. North of I-70 in Kansas and the eastern part, it's abnormally dry to a moderate drought. South of I-70, most areas in severe to exceptional drought, and that exceptional drought coverage increased in the last week over the southwest. Weather factors affecting the markets include continued cool weather and periods of rain or snow in the Midwest and additional drought stress in the Southern Plains. Cold and wet weather will remain in the Midwest the next week and keep the spring field work delayed. 10 to 14 days out will be milder but also include more rain chances. Where they want rain, no significant precipitation expected in most wheat areas of the Southern Plains over the next 10 days. Most crop ratings remain poor. The latest drought monitor showing extreme and exceptional drought areas growing across the southwest plains. Well, that, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, and of course we are seeing upward pressure on the wheat market right now because Boy, of that. Are we ever. All right, your ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Yeah, it just seems like the place, you know, what what is planted isn't doing very well and the rest of it can't be planted yet. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, difficult to get into the field up to the Midwest and Delta cuz they there are parts of the Midwest that have had about 700% of above-normal rainfall mm-hmm. over the last month or so. It's crazy. Yeah. Just crazy. All right, and we'll uh, let you know that we'll be on top of all the uh, wintry weather that comes your way for tonight. And then don't forget, uh, don't get lulled into a sense of false security, because by Saturday we have another opportunity, and that's a little warmer, which means might be some icing problems there, too. Huh? Correct. Yep. Yeah, Saturday night into Sunday. Luckily, of course, this time of year, as we found out on Easter Sunday, it yeah. melts pretty good rather quickly. Right. <laughs> when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. trade talk these days is centered around the U.S. and China, but one old trade deal between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico is still in play. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday check of ag news. Bruce Gorder has the story. NAFTA renegotiations continue and may be coming to a head soon, according to USDA Undersecretary for Trade, Ten Bikini. Kelly Brunkhorst, he is the executive director of the Nebraska Corn Growers Association, is optimistic something can be worked out. The negotiations that we heard today that are going to happen next, where we have the actual trade ministers coming in and hopefully maybe closing out some of this uh, renegotiation in NAFTA is very positive. I think what I also heard in that discussion is once this is done, once NAFTA is finished, it frees up some bandwidth, was his exact words. So it frees up some capital of staff and, and personnel to really look at new opportunities of opening trade around the world. That's Kelly Brunkhorst. He is the executive director of the Nebraska Corn Growers Association. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. And another ag news, the American Soybean Association registered strong support of a recent announcement by the U.S. Department of Agriculture that it has no plans to regulate plants that could be developed through traditional breeding techniques, including genome editing. ASA President John Heisdorfer, a farmer from Kyoto, Iowa, issued the following statement yesterday. ASA commends Secretary Purdue and USDA for their decision to clarify that plant breeding innovations will be treated in a similar manner as plants develop through traditional breeding methods. This science-based approach encourages innovation and economic development. 
Farmers, small agribusinesses, researchers, and others will have an exciting opportunity to pursue new and advanced ways to grow our food, fight plant pests and disease, reduce reliance on fertilizers and other resources, and respond to consumer demands to reduce the impact of agriculture on the environment. And the 90th Nebraska FFA Convention first general session kicked off yesterday at the Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln, Nebraska, with State Officer Kelly Machino serving as the session chairperson. Kelly is originally from the Boyd County FFA chapter, advised by Mr. Jerome Engelhop. Nebraska FFA welcomed Dean of the University of Nebraska Lincoln's College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources, Dr. Tiffany Hang Moss. Dean Hang Moss spoke about the importance of student leadership. Nebraska FFA members exhibit her enthusiasm for the students and agriculture on UNL's campus and her love for Nebraska FFA. For a full list of proficiency awards and all of our FFA coverage, you can head on over to ruralradio.com. And finally, the largest youth development program in the nation, 4-H, is calling on alumni and supporters to help bring 4-H programming to 10 million youth by 2025. Currently, 4-H empowers nearly 6 million young people in every county across America, including one in three eligible youth across all 93 counties in Nebraska. Having experienced our programs firsthand, our alumni know best what a positive impact 4-H had on them growing up which is why we're reaching out to them to support the next generation of true leaders, said Stuart Shepard, executive director of the Nebraska 4-H Foundation. We encourage Nebraska alumni to show their 4-H pride and raise their hands for Nebraska 4-H. As a part of the Raise Your Hand campaign, which started April 1st and runs through May 15th, 4-H is asking supporters in Nebraska to volunteer to provide hands-on learning experiences to youth. That's a quick look to your midday ag news. Again, for more, you can always visit ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The National FFA organization is run by students, but what does that truly mean? On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting from the 90th Nebraska FFA Convention in Lincoln, Nebraska. Brock Vitek joins me now. He's a state FFA officer as we discuss this topic, which leads to the delegate process, and we'll hear from a delegate here in a moment. But Brock, as a state officer, what does this delegate process mean, and what does it mean to truly be a student-led organization? The delegate process is a critical part of FFA. This truly is a student-led organization. We think about how females, such as Danny with us here today, uh, were allowed into the organization in 1969. We've had slight revisions to the emblem. The jackets changed over the years. Delegates are the ones who make these decisions. It's all about the students. So I think it's very important that we do this here in Nebraska as well at the state level to let the students make decisions for this organization that they run. And Brock, I understand it right. It starts at the chapter level. The chapter will send delegates to the state. Then from the state, uh, some of the officers each year serve as delegates at the national convention and kind of direct uh, the policy at each level of that. Did you serve as a delegate this year at the national convention? If so, talk about that process. Yes, I did. In previous years, Nebraska had only six delegates with seven state officers. This year, we actually had seven delegates, and I served on the committee for the inclusion of unpaid SAE hours for American degree requirements. And it was a very heated discussion, but it was very neat to be part of that process and uh, help enact change in this organization. And we are about ready to kick off uh, with the first delegate session here at the state level. So uh, how many delegate sessions will you have at this convention? We here in about 10 minutes have the work session, and then tomorrow morning we will have a business session where delegates will actually be voting on recommendations to move on to our state board. And how are the topics kind of decided as, as you go through this? Do chapters submit those, Brock? 
Um, there is some discussion at the chapter level, but the board actually finds a topic after looking through all those submissions, and we're actually talking about middle school membership this year. So that's what we'll be discussing here in 10 minutes. Sounds like it's going to be a great conversation. Now I'm joined with another, one of the delegates here at the state level. Her name is Danny Brandle. Well, we'll ask her to remind us the chapter she is from. Danny, uh, tell us your hometown and chapter. I'm from Humphrey and the Humphrey FFA chapter. Very good. And this year you're serving as a delegate. Have you served as a delegate in the past, and, and what made you want to do it this year? Um, I served as last year. I wanted to do it again because it was really cool to see the impact of what my vote did to uh, the national, well, national convention. That it was cool that once I voted for this, and then I could see the bill actually pass through national convention, and it was cool just to see that me as one person could help inspire this bill to actually get it set into the FFA. So, Danny, as you are about ready, as we've mentioned, to kick off this first work session, what are you most excited about this year as a, a returning delegate? Um, I'm most excited to see all the different perspectives about the bills and see um, what kind of bills are actually put into place and which are going to be vetoed by the committees. Yeah. And uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, some of your work you're doing here at convention as well, Danny. Are you competing in other things? I recently did a proficiency. Um, I actually won last night. So Very cool. Congratulations on that. What proficiency area? Small animals. So I breed and raise my own Dutch rabbits and take them to different fairs around the state. Now we'll turn back to Brock Vitek, state FFA officer, as we are here on day number two. Give us a preview of what's still ahead. So we have two more sessions yet today. We have the uh, third and fourth sessions. I'll be chairing that fourth one at 4.30, um, giving more awards, recognizing more people, and that will close out our second day of our 90th state convention, and then we'll move on to tomorrow to wrap it all up. And uh, I always enjoy asking the officers this question, as you kind of are retiring this year, Brock. What's your message to FFA members as they enjoy convention this week? My message is for members to be courageous and really make it count in all that they do this week. Very good. Appreciate that information. We've been talking with Brock Vitek, a state FFA officer, as well as Danny Brandle. She's from the Humphrey FFA chapter. Reporting from Lincoln, Nebraska at the 90th State FFA Convention, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, checking sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the 82nd Masters is underway. Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player officially got the tournament started this morning with a ceremonial tee shot. Mark Leshman has the early lead. He's at three under through seven. Tiger Woods picked up his first birdie at the Masters in nearly three years. He was able to birdie the par three, number four. It was his first competitive birdie at the famed course since April 12, 2015. He currently is one over through eight holes. Former Carney and Nebraska kicker and punter Brett Maher has signed a free agent deal with the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, he was briefly with the team back in 2013. He's been kicking in the CFL since 2014. He's had stops with Winnipeg, Ottawa, and Hamilton. He's likely joining the Cowboys to handle things like kickoffs and punts and practice so returners can get in their work without Dan Bailey and Chris Jones putting an overtime on their legs. In the past, Maher has spent time with the Jets, Browns, and the Cowboys. Cavaliers coach Teron Lou says piercing chest pains persuaded him to take a medical leave. He's returning to the sideline tonight after missing nine games. The 40-year-old coach says he's feeling much better. He's changed his diet, and he says the time off has given him a new perspective. Lou hasn't coached since the middle of March when he left a game at halftime. The Cavs went 8-1 and one under assistant Larry Drew while Lou was away. NL batting champion Charlie Blackman is making a long-term commitment to the Colorado Rockies rather than test next season's free agent market. 
This week, he agreed to a contract that guarantees him $108 million over six seasons, and he says in the end he wanted to stay in Denver. You know, I knew this was going to be a, a big year for me, you know, both leading into the season, this season, what would happen after the season, and I, I weighed all of my options and, and chose what I feel like is the best decision for me and my family. And I- in other news, the Creighton baseball team won 8-3 to over Kansas State last night. It was Blue Jay head coach Ed Service's 500th career victory. Now, Creighton is scheduled to play Butler at home this weekend, but of course those games could be up in the air due to the forecast. Nebraska's softball game tomorrow against Indiana will now be played at 1. That was previously scheduled for 5. And new South Dakota men's basketball coach Todd Lee will be introduced at a news conference tomorrow. He'll arrive in Vermillion with more than 30 years in the sport. The last five as an associate head coach at Grand Canyon University. He's a native of Huron. He's replacing Craig Smith, who left for Utah State after leading the Coyotes to a 48-21 record over the last two seasons. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Cloudy skies tonight with snow developing in the west in the evening and spreading across the state overnight. Lows around the upper teens to upper 20s. I'm Dave Schroeder. A South Dakota youth rodeo program could change as separate boys and girls events to comply with federal law prohibiting sex discrimination. The Capital Journal newspaper in South Dakota reports that rodeo supporters and some state lawmakers have long opposed the U.S. Department of Agriculture's ruling that the 4-H rodeo violates the law known as Title IX. Republican U.S. Representative Kristen Noem of South Dakota said that inherent differences between the sexes can create unfair advantages in rodeo. The 4-H National Headquarters has notified South Dakota's 4-H rodeo that it must follow federal regulations by fall or it'll be removed from the federally funded 4-H program. South Dakota's 4-H rodeo program is only one of two in the country. 4-H officials suggest naming the events Division I and Division II instead of boys and girls. Governor Pete Ricketts has signed into law a bill that gives Nebraska a proactive approach to the nationwide opioid epidemic. Senator John Keene of Hartwell praised the bill and the leadership that helped get it passed. And I would like to commend uh, Dr. Williams. Um, He uh, took a proactive step as our chief medical officer and the head and face of public health in the state of Nebraska in supporting all three of these initiatives, even though some in the medical establishment uh, looked at it and wondered why we needed to take these steps. And it's exactly that kind of innovative, outside-of-the-box thinking and collaboration between uh, senators, between our Department of Public Health and the legislative or in the um, executive branch, which is really going to help advance the kind of strategies which are going to get ahead of this epidemic nationwide. Ricketts said the new law will ban minors from receiving more than a seven-day opioid supply, require doctors to talk with patients about the risk of addiction, and require photo identification to pick up prescriptions. Ricketts says lawmakers' proactive approach has led to a decrease in the number of opioid-related deaths. Nebraska is a first state to require that all drugs be reported to a prescription drug monitoring program. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. 
Hannah Borg on the Rural Radio Network. I'm at the Pinnacle Bank Arena at Nebraska State FFA. With me today, I have Tony Rasmussen, the advisor of Wayne FFA, a brand new chapter. So, Tony, last year at this exact time, you were still a student at UNL, but now you've transitioned into the role as a FFA advisor at Wayne. What has that experience been like transitioning into that new role? The transition has been pretty interesting. I was hired at Wayne in December, and so I've basically been working on the program and working on the vision of it since December, and so that's been fun to see it come to fruition and see the students really engage in it. It's dip more difficult to build something when you don't know the people that are going to be involved. So now that I know the students and have seen them in their different capacities and recognize their talents, I've been able to direct them and give them opportunities or provide them with um, experiences and opportunities that will help them in their future and in topics that they're really interested in. And so having that direction and having the students that can engage me as well has been really a big part of the transition and a lot of fun. You've built this program from the ground up since almost a year ago right now. You started working on Wayne FFA. What has been the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome in building a new FFA chapter? The biggest challenge with a new FFA chapter is that they're all first-year members. So it's not like I have seniors or juniors that can tell the underclassmen what typically happens or how the contest usually runs or how state convention usually is. Um, they're all freshmen in a way, and they're all kind of looking for experience and trying to gain what exactly FFA is about. So it's not like having five first-year members. It's having all 30 of them being first-year members and just getting them to understand the concept and grasp all of it that's involved and see the bigger picture. On the other hand, what has been the best part about starting a new chapter? The best part is definitely um, the students and the comments that they come up with. I really enjoy having them in class and getting to know, getting to know them there in class and then bringing them outside of class to FFA events. So the best part is the aha moments. Um, for example, a student recognizing that the food science unit that we taught in class is also used in competition and in the food science industry. So creating the streamline there from class to contest to industry has been a lot of fun too. And for the students to have that realization of this all coming together. Or um, a student's parents coming to me and saying that their student is so much more involved on the farm and uh, really, really enjoys ag class and is really thinking about it as a top career choice. It reminds you of what the big picture is, and so you don't get so wrapped up in the details. And it's uh, one of those moments where you recognize that it's all absolutely worth it. <laughs> so let's focus more on those students. In August, they were all brand new to FFA. What growth have you seen in them in the few months this chapter has been active? Unlike other extracurriculars or activities that students are in, FFA is very um, driven personally, so students can customize their experience with a three-circle model, and rather than being told what to do, they're asked to take initiative and asked to get involved in their own activities within FFA, and they can really pick and choose and customize their experience. So that, for students, I think has been um, daunting because they have had that freedom and that responsibility and have to have had to be accountable. And so that has been a major, major part of it as well. Of I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm giving you opportunities and it's up to you to take them, which is very good for a lot of these students as they go off to college.
and get involved in other opportunities because that's life and I think that's what I enjoy most as an eye teacher and FFA advisor is that we are teaching them a lot of life skills and one of those skills being decision making and accountability and responsibility. We're here at State FFA Convention. So what are some competitions that they're in and what their experience has been like here at convention as first-time FFA students? Um, we have nine teams competing. Five of those are in non-qualifying competitions. So they've already, you know, they made their way in districts and I decided to bring them down to state. Farm Business Management placed fourth at districts and is competing at state. Um, the other ones that qualified are Ag Sales, Vet Science, Ag Mechanics, and Food Science. So to have the students get ownership of that and be really happy with what they've accomplished at districts and here at state and the learning opportunities that they've gained for next year or for their career or anything like that. Um, I think they've really taken a hold of that. I also have three students in Ag Issues Academy and so that will be held tomorrow and students will be um, talking about Ag Issues and kind of the solutions to the issues and how they're involved. So again, it's that ownership part and taking charge of what they're place in agriculture is. At the end of convention, I'm excited to talk with them and just see what they gain from it, where they can see themselves, and hopefully see a fire lighted in each one of them that they recognize how cool agriculture really is and just the passion behind it and all these students and how all of these students are working towards the same goal in a way. It's very customizable, but we all have the same mission and we all have the same vision, and that's what's really cool to see. You just heard from Tony Rasmussen, a first-year FFA advisor at the Wayne chapter up in northeast Nebraska. This has been Hannah Borg on the Rural Radio Network, broadcasting from the Nebraska State FFA Convention. Good afternoon, Dewey Nelson with a market report on the Rural Radio Network. Pretty good day uh, in the cattle complex today. Once again, some triple-digit gains. As uh, we look like we're uh, trying to attempt to get some sort of a bottom uh, formed in here. And uh, the cattle actually uh, did trade a little bit better than yesterday out in the country. Not, not a big sale, but uh, enough to uh, encourage uh, some uh, short covering here once again. So pretty good day, triple-digit gains. Uh, cutouts, though, at noon were a little bit lower, but that didn't seem to... Uh, bother the uh, market much at all. Over in the hogs, we're going to finish mixed. Uh, basically, the uh, middle months uh, were a little bit higher. The uh, May contract uh, touching limit today, but did not close there. The uh, April a little bit lower because cash seemed to be still on the defensive. Cutouts were lower at noon also. So uh, kind of a mixed day, but a, a pretty good day for the, for the uh, cattle finally uh, getting out of this day-after-day uh, -day selling uh, that we've seen. So a uh, positive finish for the most part. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities at 800-328-0134. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Nebraska State FFA convention underway at the Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln, and you never know who's going to be walking the halls talking to FFAers. I ran into Senator Deb Fisher. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As I spoke with the senator, we talked a little bit about trade and its ties to the FFA. 
it's always exciting to be at an FFA convention. You look at these young people, the excitement here, the dedication to agriculture, the commitment to agriculture, uh, just to see youth involved in the next generation moving forward, it's always a treat. Well, Senator, just in the hallways of the talk that these youth have, they're talking trade concerns with China. They're talking tariffs. They're talking NAFTA. These kids are really up to date on what's happening in Washington, D.C. and globally that will affect agriculture. You know, our young people always are. Yesterday, uh, I talked a lot about trade as well. The Undersecretary for Trade was here. We had a great roundtable at Omaha Packing, the greater packing plant there in Omaha. So it, it was a good discussion to have with him. It was an opportune time to have him here here in Nebraska. I also spoke to Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue on the phone yesterday, obviously about trade and our concerns that we're looking at with these retaliatory measures that are coming out of China. Uh, we do have 30 days. Uh, I am hopeful the President is getting a message. He has certainly heard from me. I spoke to a number of people on his staff yesterday, and my staff has been in constant contact. Um, Senator Thune was here a couple days ago. He was my guest up in northeast Nebraska, and this was even before the announcement was made, and there there's still concerns about trade. I've worked really hard on NAFTA. That's something I met with the president on before Christmas. I was with a group of, there were six of us that had lunch with him in the White House. So, we have been constantly putting the ag issues before the president. Uh, we're going to keep doing that, and we do have some time here, and um, I'm, I'm going to continue to push, continue to fight, so that he understands the importance of our trade relationships that we have with these countries, and really that have taken years, years to develop with these countries. It's been frustrating for some producers. I've had conversations with them that they hear those in Washington in the Trump administration who say agriculture quit whining. And then one producer said, I want to say, then stop eating. Stop yeah. wearing clothes. Yeah. Stop driving cars. Yeah. I, as you know, I'm a, I'm a cattle rancher. I'm an ag producer. We are not whining. We are presenting our case. We are advocating for uh, something that is important to Nebraska. Agriculture is the economic engine of this state, and we can never forget that. People all over Nebraska realize that. When ag is suffering, our state budget suffers. One in four jobs dependent upon agriculture here in the state of Nebraska. No, we are not whining. We are presenting our case. We are advocating really for the state of Nebraska is dependent upon ag. And like you said, we feed the world. We provide the world with safe, healthy food. So what would you like Nebraskans to do? What should producers do to get that word to Washington of how important NAFTA is to them? Well, continue to talk to me. You know, I'm in the state this week here at the FFA convention. It's so important to be here with young leaders. So continue to talk to me. Uh, call my office. Call directly to the White House. Uh, talk to the uh, USDA. I think it's just important to keep the message out there and be positive about it. Let's talk about the great things we do in agriculture. Those comments coming from Senator Deb Fisher. She spent time today at the Nebraska State FFA Convention in Lincoln. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We recaptured those losses from yesterday in the grain and soybean contracts, or at least some of them. And we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So, I guess, volatility is the name of the game here. 
Yeah, boy. Tell you what, if you'd just gone to sleep on Tuesday night and woken up today, you'd say, well, what's going on? Nothing happened. You know, we're down three cents in corn, about a dime in beans. Wheat's actually positive from that point. So I will say, uh, you know, this were a boxing fight. The, the grain markets took it on the chin and just bounced right back. And I think it's a really good sign. When markets don't break on bear stat and stay down, I think there's more to go. So it's now uh, now turning into a weather market, both here due to, I guess, perceived delays. I, I hate to get too into the delay story yet. Uh, but then down in South America, it's starting to dry out a little bit in Brazil, and that second crop will pollinate in a few weeks, and that'll be worth watching. So uh, corn is kind of a stealth market here. Everybody seems to want to talk about soybeans, given the Chinese data, but it could be a run on corn, in my opinion, uh, the next six weeks to three months. Now look at that September contract. I think we make a run to 450 before even the U.S. weather pollination story starts. Do you think corn is going to lead wheat higher, or is it the opposite? I think in the short term, wheat will lead. Uh, you know, the conditions numbers we're going to get every week are going to be something that's going to continue to kind of remind the market how bad they are. I think the price in the short term needs to get these guys out spraying. Anybody who got rain and who feels like the wheat is there, you know, I've got guys out in, in the western part of Kansas near Dodge City that are simply saying, hey, you know, the wheat doesn't look good enough, do I want to spend any more money putting nitrogen down? Uh, you know, the price at this point, I think, is reflective of, of trying to get more folks into the field to do that. Um, no rain in the forecast in the short term. There's a shot this weekend, but once we get through that, I don't think they're, they're looking at anything. And uh, in my opinion, the, the USDA is now going to remind us of how bad things are as far as conditions go. On the other side of the coin, in demand when it comes to wheat, not good. Exports this morning, very, very poor, um, which I think is kind of normal at this time of the year as we see uh, you know, the, the markets kind of look at new crop as far as exporting, but uh, you know, I'm not encouraged that, that any rally is going to hold in the longer run. If we get back up to 550, 560, I think you got to be ready to sell that. And a big question is how many acres are going to be lost in spring wheat plantings due to cold, wet weather? Uh, maybe three, 400,000. I wouldn't be shocked at this point. Uh, it's it's an interesting trade as far as the spring wheat goes. You know, they have, they do send a lot to China, and that wasn't really reflective yesterday in the market uh, breakdown. So, again, I think wheat has some upside here, but I'm much more of a fan of corn, wheat, and then soybeans last. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Be sure to go to danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.